Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March 11th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media. You can check out the show all the time at our good friends over at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Check me out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and also over at The Grueling Truth, which is also part of the iHeartRadio Network, another opportunity to get the show out there. Uh, hope everybody's uh, doing well. Another uh, another podcast and a, and a different one tonight because uh, you're going to hear, after I uh, set this thing up, my appearance on uh, Rich Catino's radio program. And if you haven't checked out uh, Rich yet, uh, I'll give it to you right now, at Catino9 on Twitter. Rich does a show on Sunday nights from 8.30 to 10, WLIE Radio, 5.40 a.m. out here on Long Island, out in Ronkonkoma. Uh, Rich does all sports. I know that Rich is known for his commentary on the Mets. You could check him out on SNY and, and 98.7 ESPN. But uh, on Sunday nights, he does his radio show, and I will be in studio with Rich on Sunday night. So you'll hear that right after this, I guess, shorter edition of the podcast. So I figured I'd set it up with the podcast, and then rather than bring a guest on, 
just go right into my studio segment, Rich Catino. So that's coming up in a little bit. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, coming to you here Sunday afternoon, right after the Mets lose to the Astros. And some news coming down, as I was just about to get on the air, Jake Arrieta signing a three-year, $75 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. So he's no longer a member of the Chicago Cubs. Interesting deal. It's been such a, a weird offseason when you have guys like Arietta signing for significantly less than you Darvish and, and just how teams, I mean, look at Mike Moustakis basically getting a $7 million one-year deal and admitting that it, that's the only deal he received was when he received that offer from the Kansas City Royals. Now, whether that's true or not, who knows, but it's amazing how the industry is valuing players now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's probably tells you a little bit about some of these players. And I think it, you know, I know there's going to be some angst from Mets fans. Well, why couldn't the Mets get in on Arietta? Well, a couple of quick things. And that's not really what I want to talk about here in the open. Because I want to get to an, a column by Jill Sherman, which um, I'm sure Rich will bring up when I go on his program. And I also want to bring up uh, Matt Harvey a little bit after yesterday's performance. Because I, I, I think a lot of, even the media, I think a lot of people are giving that performance a lot more credit than what it is. But the Mets really couldn't wait out this offseason to see where the Moose and the Moustakis, I've heard so many makeup issues that I'm not sure that would have been a, a better signing than Frazier. Forget about the numbers. But with a guy like Arietta or a Lance Lynn, the kind of contracts they received this week, and who knows what Alex Cobb is going to receive. I mean, these are solid pitchers, and they're probably better pitchers than Matt Harvey. I'm not quite sure they're better than Steven Matz. And, uh, and you know, I know that might be some debate because I think Matz, although he doesn't have the resume of an Arietta, I think at this point, if he could stay healthy, I think is just as good, if not better, than some of the names that have signed. I mean, people forget Matz came up and, and what he did and how well he pitched before he got hurt in 2016 as well. Uh, you know, the Mets just couldn't wait it out to see where these markets would go because if they went significantly north, they were not going to be in a position to sign the player. And then the plan B was significantly worse than where they would have been if they had signed someone like an Arietta or a Lynn or something along those lines. I mean, that's the thing. You're left with, with – with, but now you could say, well, they have Alex Cobb. Nobody could have predicted this in the offseason. Nobody could have predicted that the Mets picking up a Strubel Cabrera's option cost them more. Nobody could have predicted that. You know, it, it's just been such an odd, odd offseason. By the way, Jake Arrieta had a 123 ERA plus last year. In 2016, before Stephen Matz got hurt, he had a 118 ERA plus. I mean, Stephen Matz is a good pitcher. And Matt Harvey, if he's healthy, you know, and we'll talk about him in a minute. I don't know why he can't do close to that if if he's healthy, if he's straight. But we'll get to that in a minute. So I'm not really going to make this about Arietta and the Mets signing Arietta and the $25 million And, yeah, everyone's going to now. It's amazing to me. Everybody, when it's the offseason, any, any team that signs a big free agent pitcher automatically gets looked at much better than they are. Really, they do. It always has. Now, all of a sudden, the Phillies aren't so bad. Well, let's see the Phillies, who have been a bad team for a while. Do something. It's not that easy just all of a sudden to jump out and be a contender. You know, the Mets have done it. The Mets have a, a resume here. They have a, a last year, which was a bad year, but they have a resume here. So um, we'll chat about that, uh, you know, another time. But obviously, that's news that just came right off the wire. So I want to get into three quick things, which are really the theme of the podcast, which essentially is my monologue, and then you'll hear the studio segment I 
I will be doing with Rich Catino later tonight. I don't know when this is coming out and when you will be listening to it, but this is being recorded on Sunday, March 11th. So we'll just keep that at that in case things happen between now and the release of this podcast. But there was a column by Joel Sherman earlier this week, and it ties into some comments post-game made by Mickey Calloway, which really are part of the theme of what was wrong with the Mets, I think, for the whole entire Terry Collins tenure. And what I like about this spring, regardless of performances, and, and I don't really care about wins and losses. Um, so Mickey Calloway, after the game, comes out and says, you know, this team doesn't hustle all the time. They throw the wrong base. They're poor fundamentally. Anybody who's been watching the Mets since Terry Collins became manager in 2010 knows that that's been a problem. That's why when I used to hear how hard they played for Terry Collins, it was nonsense. They never did. They were not a fundamental team. They laid down for him. They had spurts for a while. They, they were not a team that was well-managed, well-disciplined under Terry Collins. They were not. Despite the narrative that Terry Collins put out there, they were not. And I think that some of those bad habits are seeping still into the new regime. And the new regime, it's their responsibility to go out there and eradicate it. That's their job. So this ties into early in the week, Joel Sherman bringing up how Ioannis Cespedes, is he potentially the poster child for those things? Because anyone who's watched the Mets knows that Cespedes doesn't always hustle to first base. Now, when he turns it on, he, he turns it on. And you hear stories about how he didn't really take care of his body. He wasn't hydrating. He was playing too much golf. He wasn't taking himself seriously. By the way, James Wagner, and, and, and really all this all ties in together, had a great piece in the Wall Street Journal about some of the new age scientific methods that the Mets are using to monitor player health by taking their urine, having them fill out a questionnaire about their sleep patterns, so on and so forth, hydration, things of that nature. So that, that's a great piece. Check that out if you can Google James Wagner Mets and you, you could probably find it. But uh, that, that ties into all this. Knowing that someone like Cespedes wasn't taking care of himself, which played into his issues with his legs, uh, knowing it, and, and the piece goes into how he clowns around during drills. And then in the next breath, Joel Sherman talks about how, well, Cespedes is there trying to enhance the drill by lying on his back, waiting for the ball to be hit, jumping up and trying to create a scenario where he's under duress to catch a very difficult fly ball. So you, you see different aspects of Cespedes in the, I guess, the preparation or practice part of his day during this column that Sherman was observing it. And he brings up Buck Showwater and how Buck Showwater was brought in to clean up some of the clown mess that was the New York Yankees in the early 90s before their dynasty. He talks about how a couple of managers who he polled you know, were, were not really cool with what Cespedes did or how he described Cespedes. Neither one were there. And mind you, neither one is employed anymore. And I love I love to know if one of those was Terry Collins because that would make me laugh. With both those those anonymous former managers saying that they wouldn't be cool with Cespedes behaving as he was described in that column, where he was had his hat on backwards, you know, he was kind of flipping the ball in, then he's turning it on, he's turning it off, and so on and so forth. And Callaway, at least when he was being interviewed by Sherman, wasn't taking the, any kind of bait. He wasn't biting on, on talking about Cespedes. Now, if you listen to his comments after today's game, 
uh, or actually, it looks like he was, um, yes, it was after the game, that maybe he is in his way dressing the team. And maybe Cespedes is part of that problem. Now, anybody knows, and I've said this, that when the Mets signed Cespedes, they weren't signing this sage, this clubhouse leader. They were signing a very talented player who could be a bit mercurial, who's an energy guy. And energy guys, when things are going good, they have a lot of energy. Everybody loves them. And when things stink, everybody hates them. And if the team's out of it, they're not into it, you hate them even more. And you saw that because Cespedes, I know he was injured at the end of the year. Other players, I think, would have wanted to come back and maybe play a few games at the end to get some reps. You know, Cespedes lost interest in the Mets pretty much after he got injured, came back. They made a, a short push there at the early July to see if there was anything there. When that, when that didn't turn out right and they sold off, he was done. He was out. You saw that when he was traded to the Red Sox. He, he didn't do much there. And, um, you know, they didn't get much out of him. And that's how he wound his way up in Detroit and, and what have you. So, uh, to me, and I think when I speak to Rich later, I know he's going to bring it up. The issue is, is, is not changing Cespedes. Because you go back to a very disciplined team, if you go back to the early 90s Knicks, who I, I always talk about on this podcast, who I always talk about um, how Pat Riley and how he managed that team and how he brought that culture from one extreme to the other so quickly and almost won a championship there is kind of my foundation as a, a sports fan and as an analyst and what have you. There were characters on that team. There were, there were issues on that team. John Starks was not a, a model citizen all the time. Anthony Mason certainly wasn't. Uh, Charles Oakley had his issues. He had his complaints. But even Greg Anthony, I mean, uh, if you remember early in the 92-93 season when the year the Knicks won 60 games and they nearly beat the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals, Anthony Mason and Starks were benched because of them clowning around in a game out in L.A. when they were facing former teammate Mark Jackson. And I think they were throwing water or they were fooling around. The Knicks lost. The next game was against Shaquille O'Neal, rookie year, a Saturday night. All three of those players were benched. Mets, the, the Knicks played shorthanded one, but Riley sent the message that nobody's bigger than the team. And maybe Mickey Calloway needs to do this. Now, I don't know if these comments in spring training are directed at Cespedes, but I'm glad he's making them because if there are issues, if bringing in guys or bringing back guys like Jay Bruce and Todd Frazier and guys that are you know, supposedly the grinders, the, the serious guys, even Joel Sherman describes Bruce as a, a, a serious professional, the kind of guys that I believe make up the bedrock of the team. You don't need 25 of them, but you need a strong foundation of bedrock of those guys and david wright can't be one of those guys because david wright's coming in and david wright's basically trying to walk and be uh, uh you know get on the field and that's probably never going to happen and you can't use him as that inspiration anymore so it's got to be guys like frazier and bruce um if he's bringing it out in spring training tells you where the culture and the, everyone's talking about how the mets are trying to change the culture tells you how bad the culture's been and how astonishing it was that these guys made it to the World Series in 2015 and how these guys all have to realize that 2015 means absolutely nothing. One of the first podcasts I did on this show when I transitioned this to the Talking Mets podcast talked about how 2015 is over. The lap is over. There should have never been a victory lap. There should have never been any of that. So kudos to Mickey Calloway. Kudos to him for bringing this up. Now the hard part is how do you fix it and who's the problem? 
because I hope it's not Todd Frazier. You just brought him here. I hope it's not Jay Bruce because you brought him back and he was part of this last year. You know, is it Cespedes? Is it Reyes? I mean, is it, you know, Dom Smith certainly hasn't shown that he's a grinder out there. I don't think it's the catchers. He mentions how the pitchers are a bit of the high school, the cool click in high school. They're not throwing the wrong base. I think they have a work ethic. I think they think they're better than they are, and they need to prove themselves a little bit. We'll see how that works out. Because if anybody on that staff outside of DeGrom, and even DeGrom needs to still continue to make sure he remembers that there's a lot to accomplish still. They think that they've got it made. None of them have. You know, they, they, They've been a disappointment more than they've been a success. Hate to say it, you know, regardless of what the numbers or what numbers you throw at me. So this is an interesting group. This is uh, a group that's going to challenge Mickey Calloway. And words are cheap. Actions are what I look for. And let's see what comes out of this. Because if they improve, then you know that there is something there. Look, it doesn't take talent to throw the right base. It doesn't take talent to hustle. I don't want to hear about who they signed and they don't have good, you know, fast runners and this is the kind of players they sign. No. Throwing to the right base, hustling is like walking and breathing. That's why when they were given so much credit all the time by the media, well, they play hard for Terry. Well, that's what they should be doing. And if they don't, then that, it has to be addressed. Coming to the ballpark and playing hard doesn't mean playing smart, doesn't mean playing effectively. It's basic breathing in baseball. Basically, showing I could show up to a job tomorrow, sit in my chair, do absolutely nothing. Well, you know, he's showing up every day. He's playing. He's working for them. No, he's not. Doesn't mean he's effective. Doesn't mean he's smart. It just means you're there. And that's what's been going on too much over the course of the last five to six years. And a World Series appearance masked that. And that's the shame of it. Mickey Calloway's not fooled. He came from an environment where those guys, for a couple of years. They were among the elite, the Cleveland Indians, in the game. So he's not coming from some losing program. And not that the Mets are, you know, despite being a 70-win team, some losing program either. I mean, they had some good things happen to them over the course of the last two or three years, but it's not enough. And, and, and he's pushing them, and he's pushing them out of their comfort zone. So to me, the story isn't about is it fair or unfair to criticize Cespedes. Is it the Cespedes fall into where his antics – lead to him in game situations not throwing to the right base, not hustling. You know, if his drills are actually helping him, then fine. If him clowning around during practice, I mean, there's a time where you have to turn it on and off, and I really believe that turning it on and off is dangerous. You see that a lot where good teams, like, shut down for parts of the season. I'll see in September. All of a sudden, you go to put the gear in play, and it's not there. To me, that's not. That's not necessarily a, a, a good foundation because you're trying to turn that switch on at some point and it's not there. And then you're like, then you panic. You want to start from day one out of the box. And not everybody has to like each other. Not everybody has to be best friends and go to dinner. But everybody needs to put the time in to bring to the table whatever the max is of their talent level and their skill set. And if they're not doing that, if one of those 25 guys are not doing that, then those guys need it needs to be addressed with that individual, and they need to need, either need to get on board or get out. And if that means benching them, suspending them, sending them down to the minors, whoever they are, that's got to happen. And you've got to show accountability, and you've got to show that there's no scholarships. That means 
I don't care how hard Hansel Robles throws. He thinks he should not go north with a team. I don't care that Rafael Montero has been a touted prospect now for, what, six or seven years, and you're afraid that he's going to find out his uh, skills somewhere else and, and, and blossom. He doesn't earn the spot. He doesn't come north. I understand the politics of options and lack thereof. I get that. But this team doesn't need that right now. They need to have the best 25 guys. If that's, if that's Phil Evans coming off the bench, then fine. If Reyes, for all that he means and all the sentimentality of Reyes, is not the answer and he's part of the problem, then you know what? Bring Guillermo North and send Reyes packing. Maybe he's AAA veteran depth at this point in his career. That's all I'm saying. So whoever he's calling out, and he's calling out the team, and I'm sure there are some individuals that are more to blame than others, but whoever he's calling out, they better shape up, or if I were Mickey Calloway, I'd ship him out now because you don't want to be having this conversation come the start of the bell when the regular season when the, ring, the bell rings time to go this nonsense needs to be eradicated now in spring training day one let's take a quick break when i return i'm going to talk a little bit about matt harvey and i think a lot of people are missing the boat here about matt harvey we'll be back with the talking Mets podcast right after this a lot of bad pitches but um, you know it's still march 10th it was my third start and um, you know a lineup like that you really have to be pretty fine and and, um, you know, I think it's tough to say at March 10th you're uh, going to be as fine as you want to be. But, um, like I said, overall, mechanically it was great, and, and everything feels awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. He's looked really good. I mean, he's throwing the ball where he wants to. He has good stuff. He has good life on his fastball. He's staying strong through his pitch count, and uh, it's been really good. We're back. So a couple other things before we get to my appearance with Rich Catino on 540 a.m., uh, which will be later tonight on Sunday, WLIE, 540 a.m. You can check them out. Let me give you the, uh, the link here because I don't think a lot of you are going to be able to listen unless you're on Long Island. Uh, WLIE, WLIE540AM.com. I'm sure there's a Listen Live button there you could go to. I think they mainly do Spanish-type radio, and then they transition to some sports later on on the weekends or whatnot. But really, always enjoy Rich Catino, and it's a different way to do the podcast. Have me doing my little monologue, and then you go to commercial, you come back, and there I am in the studio talking to Rich Catino. We'll see. And it'll probably be just my segment. If it's an interesting show, even though it'll transcend or go above and beyond just the Mets, uh, I think he's going to be doing some NCAA and whatnot. We'll, we'll see what we, we can do there. But... Uh, anyway, let me get to Matt Harvey because you know everybody. I keep hearing about. Well, he feels good. He looks good. You know, don't look at the final line. You know, with John Carlos Stanton home run made it worse. Well, yeah, those are the kind of guys he's going to face in the regular season. And at this point, you have a situation where you have you know the ground pitch today, and and it looks like he'll be ready, probably not for opening day, but for the first week of the season. So if he's the fifth guy out of the out of the shot. Who cares? I mean, everyone makes such a big deal. Oh, he's not going to be ready for opening day. Who cares whether he's one, two, three, four, five? If he's ready to make his first turn or slightly thereafter, who cares? That's all that matters. It doesn't matter who pitches one or five. It really doesn't. It just amazes me, the foolishness sometimes. 
When you look at Syndergaard and DeGrom, those are going to be the guys that stand out. I really believe, and he pitched well on Friday, and I know everybody's down on him and everybody's concerned about him. I think Matt's will be, if healthy, fine. He's a good pitcher. I do think at times he's got some confidence issues, but he's also a guy that came up, pitched pretty well against the Dodgers in the playoffs, pitched pretty well in the World Series. He was eh against the Cubs. In Chicago, and that's in that game four, but they won that game anyway. You know, here's a guy that, if you go back to 2016, uh, came up, and uh, I know he was, I think it was August where he went down. You know, he was 9-8 and eight with 3.40 ERA. I mean, the team didn't score a hell of a lot. Uh, you know, he had good numbers. He had a 118 ERA plus. He was a hell of a lot better than Matt Harvey, which isn't saying much. Uh, he may be on the next tier below DeGrom and Syndergaard, but he's a really good pitcher. A really good pitcher, and I and I I look at him as really the the big three. And he's lefty, and I wouldn't just throw him into the into the into the trash bin here. Uh, after that, you've got Lugo, who I think has some moxie, and I think could be a good number five. You have Gazelman, who I'm not quite sure about yet. Is he the swing guy at number six or what have you? You got Vargas, who, who pitched today, and I think he's going to be a solid guy. Six innings, three runs. I think he'll have some really good outings that go you know. Enhanced past that, I think he's going to have some stinkers out there. You know, he is a little bit of a finesse pitcher. Haven't seen him a lot because he's been in the American League and he's been in the AL West, so the Central in the West. But you don't watch a hell of a lot of those American League games, especially because other than the World Series and he was hurt, you don't really watch Kansas City all that much. And when he's in Seattle, forget about it. You know, he might as well be in Siberia when he plays in Seattle to play in late. And they're in the AL West, which really doesn't impact New York here, and unless you're a Yankees fan and you get to see them when they – they play the Yankees. So, uh, you know, I think right now to say that Matt Harvey's guaranteed a spot is just is ludicrous. To me, and everybody outside still to, to today, and maybe Lugo has been the one, and, and Wheeler, I guess, but Wheeler. I always forget Wheeler. And, I, and I've always said I'm not a big Wheeler fan. Everybody has to earn this spot. Now, at this point, if you're going to say that Wheeler's pitched better than, and Wheeler has so far pitched better than Harvey. And it's not just about outcome and numbers. It's about how do you really feel? How does Mickey Calloway and Dave Island feel from a process standpoint that these guys are built and ready to go? I don't want to hear five innings. Forget this new age nonsense. A starter should try to go six innings. And if you're really a gamer, if you're at the Syndergaard to Grom level, they should be trying to go seven, eight. And then in those rare occasions, because of the way the game is now, and they're not going to push them too hard past 110 pitches, I think. I think pitchers should be able to go to 120, but you know, and maybe they will with this this regime. We'll see. Uh, you know that if if that fits into nine innings, we'll see. If if Harvey's not one of them, now you know uh, at this point, you know you have a problem here. You can't just send the guy down to the minors. You know he probably has to pitch out of the bullpen at that point. Maybe the bullpen is where he belongs. Maybe he's a one or two inning guy, max effort. Maybe you'll get more out of him here. But I don't see anything, even when he's had success this spring. I mean, if you're making a big deal about him getting out fringe players, most of which are not going to be in the big leagues, I don't care if it's the Yankees, the Astros, it seems like they play the Astros or the Yankees every day. That doesn't impress me. Now, 2016, before he got hurt, Harvey's peripherals weren't terrible. He certainly wasn't the same pitcher that he was back in any, anywhere near 2013, 2015, missed 2014. But he's a guy who could strike out about seven per nine innings, keep it to a couple of walks. Uh, you know, I think he could be league average, and I think he can win some ball games. 
I think you could keep him in the ballgame. Does that mean he's better than Wheeler? That Does that mean he's better than Lugo? Does that mean he's better than Gazelman or Vargas? No. And if he's not, the fact that he's Matt Harvey should not mean anything. Because at this point, it doesn't matter. And I said this, and I glazed over it last week because I wanted to get to Michael Mayer last week, and we had a nice long chat there. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to be the new Matt Harvey here because he's always going to leave Mets fans wanting. How do you come up at the age of 23, 24, and in your first full season, before you get Tommy John surgery, have a 2.27 ERA, uh, a 157 ERA plus, finish fourth in the Cy Young voting, start the All-Star game. It only goes downhill from there. And then it gets better because he comes back from Tommy John's surgery. He wins 13 games. Uh, he pitches a classic game in the World Series. And then ever since that ninth inning when he came back out after he dominated for eight, he's never been the same again. So it's almost like he had that push. He was still at that level. And then he lost it. And he's never been able to regain. He's almost, and it's truly, it's funny because I'm so not into the cartoon characters and the Gotham and the Dark Knight and the Thor. It's, it's not for me. And, uh, you know, to me, that, that's where, that's where I, I, I wonder if it's ever going to work anymore here for Matt Harvey. And I know what everyone's saying. Well, you could have non-tendered him and he probably wouldn't have gotten a big league deal and, the Mets just, they have to see this through. And if that means that he goes to the bullpen or he gets a couple of starts in April, I almost feel like they're going to give it to him to see this through. They're going to give every opportunity and exhaust every opportunity to see if there's anything left anywhere close. to the, Let's forget 2013 Matt Harvey, 2015 Matt Harvey, or early 2016 Matt Harvey before things fell off the cliff. There's anything, anything left of him. But I'll tell you what, coming out of spring, it goes back to my initial comment here in the beginning of the podcast. It should be the best 25 guys. It should be spots earned. There should be no scholarships. You have to establish accountability. You cannot allow any of the nonsense that's been going on that was lingering, the stench of the Terry Collins BS, the, the, the coddling, the, the passiveness, the, in, the word reactionary has been used. And that was what that regime was all about. They sat back and they reacted. They weren't prepared for anything. They didn't take a proactive role in anything. Anything. And if part of that is the new manager setting the tone by calling out players for not hustling and then maybe taking a guy like Matt Harvey and saying, you're not good enough for the rotation, because you could sit here and try to spin it all you want. He wasn't great against. He hasn't been great all spring. He's not missing enough bats. And do I think Matt Harvey's good enough to pitch without being able to miss bats? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's a contact pitcher. I don't think he's a, a pitch, pitcher that can you know, navigate without his best stuff. He's not Seth Lugo. He's not DeGrom. You know, DeGrom's able to do that, not Matt Harvey. He's never shown that. Seth Lugo at times has shown me a little bit with that, trying to navigate through that. You just don't see it. I just don't see it. So uh, to me, uh, I, I'm not buying that everything's okay with Matt Harvey. I'm not buying that he's guaranteed a spot. I'm not buying that the process is good. I think that uh, I, I think at this point he has to show some significant improvement that you can get at minimum six innings, three. You got to say, is this a guy that could give me six innings and three earned runs? Just like a Jason Vargas. And if the answer is no, three, four innings, five, six runs, those kind of stinkers, that's not going to keep the Mets in the ball game. It's not. And that's, you know, if he's going to be good for a couple innings, then put him in the bullpen. That's the way I look at it. So, uh, you know, one last thing, and I saw it come out, and I'm not really sure, uh, you know, if I have all the facts, but 
and it kind of annoyed me. If Major League Baseball, which completely annoys me about how they manage the MLB.tv because they try to force you to the local, and I understand the advertisers pay money. They force you to the local advertising, so they black out these MLB.tv games. So if, even if you're a Mets fan and you sign up for the package, you're going to get the damn things because you've got to go and get blacked out, and you've got to go to the TV to actually watch this stuff. The only way to really watch the Mets anywhere, wherever you want, is to have a sling box, which has to be connected to a cable box in the zip code that you live. You have basically a TV or a box in one part of your house that you know no one's going to want to use too often, and you connect the sling box, and then you can watch the Mets and on the moon if you want. So now Facebook and MLB signed this, this exclusive right to stream 25 games, and the Mets are the first one. It's a weekday game, so it's afternoon games, which are – I understand where it's going. They're basically games that don't get the best ratings that the networks, whether it be SNY or, or if it was the Yankees, yes. They're probably saying, you know, losing that, is it the end of the world? No, because you're getting 30 to $35 million reportedly from Facebook. And now Facebook's going to use this as their kind of MLB test tube to add whatever kind of bells and whistles that Facebook has done. Now, here's the thing. It, it, baseball's so concerned. Everyone's so concerned about millennials. Like, we have to figure out the, you know, ultimate formula to make millennials like you. If, that's what you, if you spend your life worrying about what millennial buyers think about you and, 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 and want to, you to do, you'll screw up because they'll, you'll never be, be yourself. Be yourself, obviously modernize, which is funny for a league that was using coin flips up until about 10 years ago to figure out playoff spots, to be like talking about being ahead of the curve or maybe too ahead of the curve is, is, is laughable. Uh, you know, these, these, these people that you're trying to recruit are not baseball fans. Okay, baseball has a very unique chess match marathon nature to it. You have to really have it in your DNA. And, and I know it's a problem. Baseball says, how do we get it in the DNA of people who are growing up with a, 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 a basically ADD type of entertainment uh, behaviors? I don't have that answer. That's, and, and I understand what, that's what people say. Well, see, this is part of it. But I, I think a lot of it has to do with baseball doesn't necessarily lend itself to the soap opera type of narratives that you see in the NBA. I mean, the NBA, LeBron, even when he has good teams, it's like a soap opera. The NBA is truly, because it's a succinct two, two-and-a-half-hour broadcast with, with up-close personalities that you can see there on the court, um, colorful personalities, and, they, and, and, the, and the way the league and the players are, they almost have built their own little reality TV persona, and that starts with guys like LeBron. And every team has kind of their the, – the good teams has their persona, and the Spurs had it for a long time, and LeBron and the Heat and then the Cavs and what have you. And, and, you know, for a while, even back in the 90s when Jordan and the Knicks and the Pacers and, and the Rockets – and I mean, it's always been like that, the NBA. So it's always lent itself maybe to being better for a younger audience. But I think, you know, there's still enough – the attendance shows you. There's still enough out there with baseball. Baseball still provides you with – Excitement. Maybe it's it's excitement locally up until October, and maybe it's just local. Maybe it's a local sport that doesn't necessarily draw the national attention that an NBA telecast. And I think this is what they're trying to do with Facebook, trying to get uh, more play internationally, internationally. I should say not nationally. But to me, this is just the equivalent of someone going out on a date or trying to 
woo a significant other or a partner, and they're trying to not be themselves. Baseball needs to be itself and evolve being itself, not trying to, you know, okay, let's change the rules. Let's, you know, carnivalize the sport. There are a lot of things you could do marketing around the sport to, to make it more fun. And I think part of it is, you know, obviously what they're trying to do with the pace of play. And some of that ties into their commercials being, you know, the part, the, the part of the game that's really slowing this down are the commercials, is the advertising. And yeah, analytics, and we talked about this with Mike Vaccaro a couple of weeks ago and how much analysis and thinking go into every pitch. That certainly slowed things down, and that's, that's not going away because the game has moved that, that way. And these are players' livelihoods, and they don't want to just be flippant with, with every pitch they're, they're surviving in some of these guys' worlds. You know, not the big guys, but the mid-range, the bottom-tier guys always feel they're one pitch away from being sent down. Believe me, that paranoia is in a lot of ball players. And I just feel this whole Facebook, being on Facebook, not being on the network, this, this Facebook game of the week is just going to be annoying. I think at some point in September, fans are going to be looking to watch their team, and they're going to say, oh, no, we got to go get our iPads out and go hang out on Facebook and see likes popping up while we're trying to watch a pennant race game on a Wednesday afternoon. Which, you know, a lot of employers now are blocking out social media. So if, you, if you're we're at work, you're not going to get it. You can go on the MLB.com app, which are they going to block out the MLB.com app updates? Because I have to go to Facebook because Facebook paid $35 million for this. Be yourself. That's it. That's all I'm asking baseball to be. And if it's not good enough, I, I have a hard time believing that baseball has to go to the same lengths that, I mean, let's see what I was reading this here that Mexico's top soccer league had to do to get publicity. Okay, this isn't the ABA in the 70s. This isn't the NBA circa 1979. This is still Major League Baseball. And I just think this is a colossal waste of time. And obviously, if you're a Mets fan, on April, uh, what is the Mets going to be the first one? Like on April 4th against the Phillies, it looks like, uh, is going to be the first foray into Facebook uh, baseball. Facebook Facebook broadcasting of baseball, April 4th, Mets-Phillies. So if you're going to be home, I think that's a weekday. It's a Wednesday afternoon game. If you're not working that day and you want to watch baseball and you want to watch the Mets, you better get yourself a Facebook account. It's free. Friend your uncle, friend your mom, friend your, your kids, whoever. If you're at that age where you don't know much about Facebook, which, by the way, Facebook is supposed to be for older people anyways, not even for millennials. That's what I hear. Maybe they've got to be on Snapchat or Instagram. For the games need broadcast on that for it to be cool, from what I understand. So anyway, I've had enough. I've talked too much. Let me take a break. When I return, I will be returning from the studio with Rich Catino. I'm going to be on WLIE 5:40 AM with Rich Catino on his New York Sports Wrap. So let's take a quick break. When I return, you'll hear me from the studio with Rich Catino, the Sunday night New York Sports Wrap show. And I hope everybody enjoys uh, that segment, and uh, I'll see everybody next week. We'll be back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. 
Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Katina will bring Mike Sova in in just a second to talk more Mets. But, you know, I wanted to talk more about the Cespedes thing, and unfortunately, because you have to go to sponsors, I had to leave Justin. We'll talk more about it with him next week because Justin and I are good friends and we talk about this all the time. But those of you who read my book, Press Box Revolution, know that I did an entire chapter on Los Mets. And one of the things that I wrote in that chapter of that book was how the Los Mets concept was totally treated badly. And um, I don't know how to explain this other than I'll give you an example. Shea Stadium, we're standing outside the Met locker room waiting for Omar Minaya to come out and talk. And I'm not going to name who did it, but there were two beat reporters that write for newspapers in this town, and at the time covered the Mets. And they proceeded to mimic his Spanish accent in front of all of us as if he was grammatically incorrect, as if he was below reading level, okay? And I kind of must have had a look on my face and turned away. And the reporter said to me, is something wrong, Rich? And I used a line from the movie Boys in the Hood. I looked at him and I said, yeah, something's wrong. Too bad you don't know what it is. And you saw it whenever the Mets made an acquisition. And let's say there was a a Spanish player. They go, oh, Los Mets again. But when, you know, J.J. Putz was brought in or Paul LaDuca was brought in, in the press box you'd hear, well, I guess Omar didn't make that move. And then when I would cast aspersions on that people would look at me and say oh are you Hispanic Rich and first of all I'm not and I understand why people might think my last name with an H-O is but that was so disrespectful to me that I would have to be Hispanic just think about that for a minute I would have to be Hispanic to back up someone making fun of Hispanics heritage think about that for a minute You're walking down the street, you're seeing someone hit over the head with a handbag, and you're not going to help them because you're not Irish, or you're not German, or you're not Jewish. It's the most preposterous thing I've ever heard in in my life. And I had a very good relationship with Carlos Delgado, and still do to this day. And the reason is, when I started covering the Mets for ESPN, I was covering for other people, but ESPN in the mid 2004, 2005, I saw how it was done. And I kind of remembered back into the mid-80s when the Yankees had two guys going for a batting championship, Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield. And I don't know one member of the media that was pulling for Dave Winfield. Okay? Now, I'll say this. When is the last time we saw somebody – 
in New York, columnist, write an article that a player is being lazy or not hustling that was a white player. Find it for me. Please find it for me. Because I can't find it anywhere. And most of you know me out there that I'm a pretty tolerant guy. But when it comes to this, I'm not tolerant. Just like when it comes to, you know, all the things I'm involved in for, you know, to can't to curb domestic abuse. And my point on the whole thing is this. So what? He had his cap backwards. So what? He was trying to catch balls and, and jump up from the grass. And actually that made it a more tougher play to make. So what? It's a game we're playing here. It's the toy department of the world. And you're going to sit here and tell me that you don't understand Joanna Cespedes? I can tell you this. I've talked to all the players in the Met locker room, not just the ones that make my story work, all of them. And every one of them likes them. And not just as Drupal Cabrera and Jose Reyes. I'm talking about David Wright. I'm talking about Jay Bruce. I'm talking about Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard. They like him because they understand what he went through in his life. And don't tell me that's not important. Don't tell me a guy that lives in Cuba that couldn't walk up the block to buy a carton of milk without worrying that he or his family were going to be taken away. Don't tell me that he can't come to this country and ride a horse into training camp or play golf on his off days or understand that not every member of the media is his friend. Understand all of that, all of that that he has to go through. And you know what? You can't understand it. I can't understand it. I don't have to live through it. Yet, people continue to cast aspersions on Joanna Cespedes. And you know what? People should know this about me by now. I'm not a guy that just follows the sheep herd. I'm not a guy that just goes to Twitter and says, let's gang up on this guy. Okay? If I have a question or a beef with Joanna Cespedes, I have players in that locker room and people in the Met PR office that will translate it for me. I know because they've done it. When Jose Reyes has made it so easy for me to deal with a Med Rosario, it's not because Jose Reyes is trying to get credit. It's because Jose Reyes knows it's going to help me. And people in this town that cover sports don't understand this. They don't understand that no one story is worth destroying the relationship of a player. No matter how big you think it is, no matter how much your editor is going to give you like his little uh, box of candy because you broke a story. Okay? These are people. And I know there are some people that don't like Terry Collins and like Terry Collins, he didn't do everything right. But one thing he said on the Wilmer Flores night that rings true to this day. These are not machines. These are people with emotions. Yeah, they make a lot of money, but when they're between the white lines, they are playing a game they love. And for you in the media to write an article saying that a player doesn't really love what he's doing, that he's detrimental to other players, when nobody on the team agrees with you, it's like I said in the book, okay? 
when Omar Minaya became general manager and Willie Randolph became manager of the Mets, and you had an African-American manager and an Hispanic general manager, people don't give them credit for being the duo that ended the Braves' divisional run. Stopped it. Ended it. No other team did it in the division. Phillies didn't do it. Marlins didn't do it. Braves got deep-sixed by the Mets in 2006. And all you hear that time was Los Mets this, Los Mets that, Willie Randolph this, Willie Randolph that. I'll give you one Willie Randolph story that will make your head spin. Willie had a great thing that he did where he would be in the dugout and he would tell us all a celebrity that we reminded them of. When he got to me, I jokingly said to him, come on, Willie, you got to stop this. You got to stop with the Tom Cruise stuff. I'm sick of it. And Willie looked at me and said, Rich, if you're Tom Cruise, then I'm Denzel. And my point is, at that, from that very moment, Willie and I had a great relationship. And after it, I turned to a veteran columnist in this town. I'm not going to say the name. And I said, see, you're wrong about Willie. He's funny like anyone else. And the columnist said to me, Rich, you always support those people. And that's 2006. I'm not talking 1866. I'm talking 2006. And again, if you out there can find me an article that a columnist writes that a player's loafing or isn't hustling, okay, and is a white player, let me know. Because we heard it about Ricky Henderson his whole career, and he's only the best leadoff fighter that's ever played the game. And a big reason why the 99 Mets got to the playoffs. But you don't hear that about Ricky. And when Ricky came over to the Mets, a lot of people in the media said to me, ah, Rich, he's going to give you trouble. Let me tell you something. I had some of the greatest talks about the game of baseball at Ricky Henderson than anyone I've ever encountered, just like I did with Pedro. Okay? And, yes, just like I did with Al Leiter. It's not like I don't have great conversations with white players or Mike Piazza or Kevin Elster or any of the other white players, Lenny Dykstra, any of the white players I covered, okay? But my point is that we're, we've come a long way since Jackie Robinson's first game, but we got a long way to go. And if you don't think we got a long way to go, then just read the columns that were written last week about Ioannis Cespedes. We'll be back with more after this. Take WLIE 540 AM with you anywhere in the world with our free iPhone and Android apps. Listen to your favorite shows, find out news that's important to you, or just check the local weather, all from our free app. Find us in the App Store on your iPhone or Android or at WLIE540AM.com. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go! Oh, come on. (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signal to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. You have called me high. 
This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative, and that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. We are back on New York Sports Wrap, and I have Mike Silva with me tonight to talk about Mets. I've calmed down a little bit since the break. I, I guess I need more Valium with me when I do these bits. But, Mike, you've known me a long time, and, and you know I'm a pretty tolerant person, but I just couldn't take it this week. Well, well Rich, you wrote about this in your book, and I think you, you've seen it play out. Look, the New York media has gotten to the point, and, and I'll take a different take and, and uh, you know, kind of throw a different – not a different take, but another spin into this. There's going to be a narrative. The Yankees already have their narrative for the year. Powerhouse lineup. They're already talking about them scoring more than 27 Yankees. They, they've got their stories written for, and maybe that's part of the job. I don't do that job. I know it's a tough job. I know it's a job that's constantly, uh, you feel like you're, you're one column away from being fired, right? So that narrative is out. Now, the Mets narrative is going to be injuries, underachievement, uh, the Will Ponds, incompetence. And I guess if you put Cespedes out there, he could be that, you know, mercurial superstar, I guess is the way. Now, there's the other part of that, and I looked at the Sherman column, and Joel was basically, it was all speculative. And the problem is, is that uh, someone like yourself who's in the media and intelligent, and I'm not saying there are readers that aren't intelligent, you have to have an eye to read through these columns and look through the narrative and the speculation and the opinion. Now, it's a column, so there's going to be an opinion, but the problem with readers is they take opinion as fact. Well, Joel did his research. That was Joel's opinion. And he went to two managers in that article and asked them their opinion. Unemployed managers, mind you, whoever they are, might be unemployed for a reason. And they both said, well, they have, a, you know, they'd have a problem with it. And there was also the Mickey Calloway spin. Well, as Calloway as, and that's something he's going to have to battle because of this initial press conference where he came across kind of uh, new age and, and, right. and, you know, almost therapy centric, you know, all the things that are buzzwords that are going to bother people. So... Let's throw that in the trash for a minute. And th- but there is an issue in the sense where Callaway came out today. This team, let's not talk Cespedes, this team doesn't play fundamentals still. This team doesn't run the bases uh, well. And there may be, in general, those two things are outcomes of maybe a lazy streak on this team. Now, people are going to make the connection. They just read a column where Cespedes doesn't take practice seriously, right? So Cespedes doesn't take practice seriously. Therefore, he's the guy they're talking about. Well, um... He doesn't always run hard. Uh, he doesn't always play fundamental, but I could probably say that about uh, a number of guys on that team. And I could also talk about the pitching staff that didn't always come prepared to compete and win and things of that nature. Syndergaard was just as much partying with Cespedes a couple of years ago with the horses and the cars mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, so I understand that. So my bigger concern is is 
the culture that everyone's talked about, there's still a lot of work to do here. And I think Dave Island and Mickey Calloway are talking a good talk. It seems like they're walking the walk. But I think the job is going to be far more complicated uh, for them than maybe even they thought. I think it's a good point. Um, and I don't think culture changes instantaneously. I think culture has to evolve to a change. Um, but I also think that, you know, for people to sit here and not understand that the Mets only won 70 games last year and a big reason was the injuries. I'm not saying it was the only reason, but it was the biggest of the reasons. Then I think it's ridiculous to even read anything that they write. The the injuries were absolutely part of it. Now, were the injuries bad luck? Yeah. Are Looking at some of the things, and I think James Wagner wrote a really good piece. I don't know if you saw it in the Wall Street Journal about yeah, the did. Mets taking mm-hmm. some progressive approaches, which I think to the average fan will, will look kind of hokey. But you know, get, you know, analyzing the urine, analyzing their sleep patterns, these are things that, uh, yeah, they do in the military. But people should be doing this day and age. It's like when people say, "Oh, that's nonsense. Toughen up." Well. At one point, baseball players didn't wear helmets, right? Catchers didn't wear helmets. Was that smart? We've progressed as a society. So so why not that? So I I think that the Mets probably, as an organization, didn't do a good job providing that infrastructure to the, to the, to the players. But I don't know if the players themselves over the last couple of years have come prepared. Now, some of that is personal accountability on the players. I can't blame Terry Collins, Dan Worth, and Fred Wilpon and Sandy for all that. But clearly the organization has put out there that maybe they didn't provide – the kind of structure and accountability that they needed to push these guys. Remember, these are young guys. We sometimes forget Noah Syndergaard's a, a kid. He's a kid that'd be hanging out, you know, in his parents' basement at his age if he was a normal guy. Yeah. Maybe looking for a job for the first time. And, and you know, sometimes we forget that and we treat them like they're, they're, they're adults like you and I and, and, you know, me in my 40s and whatnot. Sure. We got a caller. Alex from Queens is on the line. Hey, and welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, I, I really enjoyed your, your monologue. And I just look at the Mets, you know, 2015, the Mets significantly overperformed because when Cespedes arrived, it changed the whole feeling of the team. It brought a legitimacy to that team, changed the culture. And you look at overall, I mean, this team is, since he's been here, it's been 26 games over 500 with him and 20 under without him. So his presence changes a lot. But I, I think when you think of culture and things like that, you didn't hear that before Reyes showed up. Remember, the Mets got two World Series without him. Every team with him significantly underperforms. You know, you see him posting videos in the locker room before games on Snapchat, you know, acting unprofessional. These things didn't exist when he wasn't there. I think that's the biggest issue. Well, uh, you certainly have a right to your opinion, and and I'm glad that you called. I was more concerned about the Cespedes thing, and I was more concerned about the fact that we rarely hear from the media about the laziness or non-hustle of a white player. And maybe maybe I'm just not seeing it. Maybe I didn't see it. But can you remember the last article that was written that extolled, or should I say um, it criticized the virtues of a white player not hustling or not or being, or being lazy? Yeah, and that's a fair take. I just think this particular writer has a bias against this particular player. I think that's what it comes down to. So, I totally agree with you on that. So, so I think that's why he wrote that article. But the bottom line is the Mets without Cespedes are under 500. With him, they got to World Series that nobody expected. Remember, before they got Cespedes, they were eight games under 500 in the previous three months. 
because they were 0-7 versus the Cubs before Cespedes arrived. They were trending all the way down, and, and, and they were going nowhere. He changed the whole culture of that team. So, and it is, it is amazing when you look at that year, Mike, that um, when that series started, the Mets and Cubs, everyone was saying it's pitching against hitting. But if you look at the numbers, because of Cespedes, the Mets hit more home runs than the Cubs did in 2015 and played in City Field as opposed to Wrigley. But again, you brought it up, Mike, and, and you know, I want the caller to stay on because I definitely want his feedback on this as well. We have narratives that we go with, and you brought it up. And I'll bring up another one that involved the Mets. Early in spring training, when Michael Conforto had his first press conference, they played a little gag. A.J. Ramos came in and made like he was a reporter. When D.D. Gregorius did that, every day in a pennant race, it was cute. It was good. You had to see the reaction of the writers. And basically, this is what I did after it. Yeah, there were a couple of questions I didn't get to ask. I went over to Michael Conforto and I said, Mike, you got a couple more minutes? He said, Rich, anything you need. Because the relationship with the player was there. I didn't make a big deal about it. Everyone was like, oh, the Mets have to stop this. And that's where the unfairness of covering in this town is. The narrative, as you said, is that the Yankees are going to be the best thing since sliced bread. And you know what? The Canyon of Heroes parade is going to last for six weeks after the season. Bop, 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 boop, boop, boop. I'm going to say what I said at the Queens Baseball Conference, and I'm going to say what I said on Anita Marks' show on ESPN this morning. Ioanna Cespedes and Jay Bruce will combine for more homers than Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. And I say it because everyone points to Cespedes' injuries. Cespedes and Bruce have not played together all that many games in their Met career. Hopefully they have a chance to do that. And since when is Giancarlo Stanton a guy that never gets hurt? No, I mean that's that's true, and and to your point on on the media on on the Ramos thing, uh, I think a lot of that also comes to um, everything's in a press conference nature now. Everything's in a group. I think there was a, a Mike Lupica column today talking about how when Eckersley gave up that home run to Kirk Gibson, how accountable he was, yep. and how he stood by his locker today. That'd be in a conference, and you'd have Absolutely. to, and it would be a different situation. And Eckersley answered the same question over and over and over because everybody, good, better, and different, needs their quote. Now today, I don't know if you need to have the guy say it to you. The quote said, "I don't know, you know, any editor in the world that's going to well, you can't use that. That's that was to Rich Catino, even though you and I was sitting right, right. next to each other. I mean, the guy said it was a slider, is a slider. It does not going to change. You could ask him seventy-two times when because of that. I think when Ramos jumps in, the writers who again underpaid, overworked, all the things you want to bring." out there say, you know, I just want to do my job. Remember, you're, we're, you know, that, that comes into play. I blame the Mets a little bit because they are very protective over the players one-on-one. You going up to Conforto, I'm not sure every writer could have done that. But now, you've also a, developed it, relationships. It takes hard work to do that. You, you've developed relationships, that's right. And a lot of guys want to slide in and slide out. See, I go in a clubhouse, I, go, I don't expect the same uh, uh, preferential treatment that you'd get because I'm not there all the time. That's fine. I get that. I mean, I think that you know, it gets a little extreme now. Um, but I also understand the players. You guys are basically standing in a circle in the middle of the clubhouse while guys are sitting at their home waiting for a quote or going after somebody. So, um, But, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, I think that's the part, I think, with the Cespedes column that's infuriating and frustrating because the narrative is being painted. In this case, it's about a Hispanic player. But to be fair, Cespedes is an energy player. Cespedes is a guy that if this season goes south, historically, we did it with the Red Sox, he's going to – I'm not going to say he's not hustling – it's not the same for him. He needs that energy. He needs that vibe. His the performance thing is, will, su- will suffer. I, I just, go I just ahead. Go, go ahead. Be, no, go know, ahead. Go ahead. Um, you know, 
Cespedes protection is why Murphy got pitches hit in the playoffs. Okay, they didn't want Cespedes to beat them. That's a big reason Murphy had the success in the playoffs. That's a great and, point. And I look at the Oakland A's. They were the best team in baseball in 2014 with Cespedes. And then after he left, you know, they collapsed. So, you know, even the Red Sox, they, you look at their winning percentage was a lot worse without Cespedes. So this guy is the winningest player in baseball since 2012. He's 115 games over 500. So to me, this shouldn't even be brought to the forefront of the story. I just think the article should be completely ignored because it's it's a completely not factual and and it's a biased you know article. Well, I appreciate your phone call. You made up some points that I even missed about Cespedes. So a great call. Keep listening, and I I really appreciate the support. Thanks for calling. All right, thank you. Okay, and I know this guy because he um he was at the Queens baseball conference and we talked out there, and you know the funny thing about the media is the media always generally gets the last word. They're going to get the last word, no matter what. No matter what, right. And I think Cespedes understands that, and part of him was, is saying, well, they're going to get the last word anyway. What does it matter if I don't I talk don't to him every day? I don't think he cares. And, and listen, all due respect, I mean, I'm sure he speaks decent English, um, but I don't think Cespedes giving you a quote, whether it's contrived or not, really matters. And that's the thing that really annoys me. Yes, you should be developing relationships with the players and getting quotes. That's good journalism. But you don't have to necessarily have them speak for the story. Do, as I've heard you talk about, have a conversation with them in the backfields. Just learn about them. Take that and catalog that. And, and that's how you develop good commentary. Uh, and uh, guys like me who are not in the clubhouse, we try to talk to guys like you, you try to observe. You use a lot of your knowledge, and I've been lucky enough to uh, have not interview conversations, but conversations with uh, athletes and agents and, and just kind of learn about the game a little bit. And, and then you template it, and you, you could still make an educated opinion on things. Everybody wants to get somebody to quote something, and I just don't see – and I'm sitting watching these things on SNY, and, and out of every ten questions, what, nine and a half are – Same thing. You know, Click off, and I know that's the camera. I know what uh, Gelbs needs to do. I know what what uh, the pre and post game on the manager side needs to do. Callaway's been really good so far. Let's see him, you know, six weeks in the season when he's answered that stupid question. And he's done the four o'clock. He's done the post game. He's done whatever he's had to do when he's on the field. It gets tedious. I mean, it's a job within itself. So, um, you know, if Cespedes is going to be the target, here's how he shuts everybody up. He performs. And if he performs, Rich, it will go away. Daniel Murphy was criticized. I don't see anybody criticizing no. Daniel Murphy anymore. No. And you know, they don't care about the Billy Bean thing anymore. They don't care that he, you know, Murphy wasn't always uh, easy to deal with. Uh, no. You know, I, I was around him. He was, you know, curmudgeonly, but he was focused. He was focused on getting his work done, and he viewed the media and what was going on as a distraction. He's right. Now, it's part of his job, but he's right. Um, and they weren't crazy about him. No, media. they weren't. They weren't. And that had nothing to do with his political or religious beliefs. I think it had something to do with it when he came out about that. But I think part of it was that he just wasn't making their job easy. Well, I had a good relationship with Murph because, you know, and it's <laughs> we share the same born-again Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked a lot about a lot of things other than baseball. And I found him out to be a brilliant guy in a lot of ways that understood a lot about the world. Very smart I, hitter. I Very did, smart hitter. I mean, just perform well. And Tony Bernazard, for all of his badness, and there was a lot of it. He, he was why, he, he's he why did, they're there. He's he, why did say, there. he did say that Murphy would one day win a batting title. And, and you know, there are a lot of things he was wrong about, right. but he wasn't wrong about that. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people don't know this, and I know this for a fact. One of his teammates told me, this is back when uh, – 2011, 2012-ish, he wasn't hitting any home runs. He was hitting, wasn't hitting home runs. They told him, better start hitting home runs or show some power 
we're going to send you to the minor leagues. That's true because he had slot options at that point. Um, and who would have thunk he would have became? I never saw, I mean, what, eight, nine, ten home runs mm-hmm. maybe what he has become. So. Well, you know, it's really funny. Everyone talks about the free agency next year. And, you know, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. He's Daniel a Murphy's a free agent next year. And he'd be year. a good, I mean, I know you have Frazier now. Be a good third base or first base option. See, I thought Murphy played the corners so much better than up the middle. And now with the microfracture surgery, I think he's got to go to a corner. Mm-hmm. He's either got to go to a corner or he's got to go to a DH. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, he's obviously, I would say the Yankees at some point. Not now. The Yankees are kind of. Because uh, can you think that the Nationals could area. sign Harper and Murphy? I don't know if they could. I don't think. I think the Nationals are going to be a team that's going to start to look. if Whatever happens this year. With Harper leaving, uh, they, they defer. They, every contract, they have to defer money. Their finances always seem to be murky. I don't know if they'd sign these guys. Maybe just do a, we, we've gone as far as we could go. Let's just just trash it. If you don't sign Harper, then why sign Murphy? Why not just, you lose Harper, then then I could see in this in this age of winning or misery, mm-hmm. just, just, just clean but it up. But they out. did sign Strasburg. And they still have Scherzer under contract, so that's true. I mean, and 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 I've always thought. I mean, I heard you say. I think you're exactly right. The Arietta contract, because I've already heard Ugh. fans mumble about why didn't the Mets go into the Lance Lynn Arietta Mustakis arena? First off, Mustakis's makeup. There's enough people, and I know we go back to the media has been questionable enough to make me think that Frazier was a better play. Mm-hmm. And that's from more than just one or two media people. You heard that consistently throughout. He wasn't a New York guy. Um, the Mets played it like you were at the poker table. I could wait this out, go into spring training, hope that these prices go down, get into a really good pitcher at a, a B contract. But if I fail, then I'm left with plan B, which is nothing. Because Vargas is gone at that point. Right. Frazier's gone at that point. You can't do that. It's too risky, especially when you have this small window with the pitchers and what have you. And look, on the note with the Sherman column, there's another thing that was thrown in there that I, I talked about on a podcast earlier. This this team is not an easy group. It's a, not a difficult group, but it's not the doesn't sound like the easiest group of personalities. He mentioned the the pitchers are like the the cool kids in high school, if you remember. Right. right? And and look, these guys they're they're fragile. They they they've had a lot of success at a young age, but they've also left everybody wanting. Um, their whole entire team's success is probably built on them. That's a lot to ask. Um, and maybe they think they're better than they are, and to a certain degree, uh, some of them are. But not all of them are. So there's a lot of things going on here than just Cespedes. That's interesting. On well, that. it is interesting, but I, I I do think that when I look at a core of a team, I generally look at their top two starting pitchers, their closer, and their four RBI bats in the lineup. And to me, I look at Degrom, Thor, Familia, Cespedes, Conforto, Bruce, and Frazier. Pretty good. And I look at those six, and I say, probably with the exception of the Nationals, it it lines up pretty comparable to every other team in the National They're League. not a bad team. Look, they're going to be, if they stay healthy, and, you know, obviously managing a bullpen is going to become even more important now mm-hmm. with the way the game is. You almost have to have the manager that gets it, and I think Callaway will see. I mean, obviously he comes from a an environment where – Tito Francona got it. How much did he absorb? How much was that? Callaway, you know, we'll find out. I, I liked. I mean, Mets blog SNY did a very, uh, you know, Melissa Figueroa did a video uh, sit down that, with yeah. Dave Island, Mickey Callaway. They're very erudite. Uh, they're very intelligent. Um, 
there's just a different. Everybody who's been down to Port St. Lucie that I've talked to, mm-hmm. and again, this is not about me bashing Terry Collins and, and Dan Wortham, but it, it's there's di- a it's difference. Different. Yeah. It's a it's it's a more modern way of going about things, and I think this team needed it. It, it. You know, they have to leverage the talent. They have to maximize. And everyone criticizes the Wilpons. I understand the budget and the, and the way the finances have to be run. But, but, but they're not doing anything differently than 29 other teams are doing right now. So. The Mets are spending $150 million on their payroll. I that's, mean, that's And fun. I know people want a $200 million payroll. They're not the Yankees. The Yankees leveraged the brand back in the 90s at the perfect time when they came back into um, contention. Remember when George went out and got the Adidas contract outside of everything? That whole era put the Yankees in a different financial stratosphere. I don't know if the Mets will ever catch up in that sense. The only way they'll catch up is if the real estate things that go Fred around. has planning. Right. If that, but that could if take co- 10 years. That could. could take 10 years. But if and, that, and that becomes big. Then that, that's that a that different be... story. Then you have a redevelop of Willits Point, mm-hmm. and now you have a destination that's, that's not and just And I had time park. to talk to Fred. I had about 10 minutes with him. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in the clubhouse one day. No other reporters were around. and We just talked about a lot of stuff. And he knows there are times when I've been very critical about the Wolfpons, like, for example, the way Willie Randolph was fired, which Correct. was abysmal. Um, but Both he and Rick Peterson should never have been fired back in 2000. He, he listened to what I had to say, Fred. And one of the things Fred said to me is, which was kind of interesting, is, Rich, I always listen to you because I know even if there's criticism, I know it's not biting because you want to tear someone down. I may not agree with it, but... I understand it. And, you know, I think it goes back to during the Madoff stuff when I refused to, like, say what was right or wrong because, A, I didn't have enough information to figure it out. B, if you look at my checking account, you know it's nowhere in the stratosphere of that. Right. And third of all, and more importantly, this was his best friend. And his best friend victimized him. And, yes, he was a victim as well, Fred. And I just think that, we have something in this town where we look at George Steinbrenner, and we have him in this angelic place now he was, where he has to go him. to the Hall of Fame. They and let me him. tell you something. Yankee fans cheered when he got suspended. Yeah. I was in the stadium that night. Yeah. I heard it. And this is a guy that, that twice did things illegal, once in the Nixon campaign and right. then later in the whole Dave Winfield Foundation stuff. And let me tell you, the Yankees, when it comes to transactions with baseball, I remember being in – when Joe Girardi was first hired with Cashman and Girardi, and they were in more of an off-the-record situation, they hugged the line with transactions, up, down, bringing players in. You know, there's a, uh, there's a book called Pinstripe Defection, which everybody should read, which is about players coming over and some of the things that, that violated the freedom of, you know, the Patriot Act, I should say. Um, some of those guys that were in Atlanta that just got pinched in Atlanta right. were involved. They work for the Yankees. So there's a lot. Listen, Read if they're listening, and you you haven't read the book Pinstripe Defection, which is about the Yankees mainly and about players coming over, uh, international free agents. T- gives you a whole different perspective on baseball, what goes on out well, there. So. My my thing mm. is this: if if Sammy Sosa and Roger Clemens, and I hate Roger Clemens personally, <laughs> but if I had to vote for the Hall of Fame, I'd vote him in. Yep, uh, because well. I'd ha- because I have to put my personal things aside sure. if sure. I'm voting for the Hall of Fame. My point is, Roger Clemens isn't in, Barry Bonds isn't in, um, Sammy Sosa's not in. Okay, we don't even know if Sosa did anything, although we're pretty sure that he did. Bonds it never has been proven that he did right. anything. Okay, and Clemens, the only thing I you know we know is that he committed perjury and got away with it. And we're talking about 
them not letting them in the Hall of Fame for various reasons. But I don't hear anyone talking about George Steinbrenner's two big things that he did. Big, big things. Illegal things. Blackmail is illegal. And I know all about it because I wrote it in my book. I was around the time I was starting my career. Howie Spear was around. We all know Howie Spear was a dirtbag. Everyone knew it, okay? Yet George aligned himself with him because he had to get the goods on Dave Winfield. And my point on this whole thing is I'm not saying George Steinman doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because he did change a lot of baseball like Marvin Miller did. But I'm saying don't tell me why isn't he in on the first try. Right. Don't don't tell right. me that because I'd have a hard time pushing that lever for George Steinbrenner. Yet we have the Will Ponds on this side of, of New York that, you know, involving the Madoff scandal, baseball, you know, certainly has helped the Mets, you know, when they were in financial duress. But the Met owners do everything wrong and the Yankee owners do everything right. Right. And knowing the Yankees have deep pockets, I'm wondering how far they've gone into those pockets to make sure that that message keeps staying the same yeah, way. No, no, absolutely. Another thing I'll throw out there about the Mets, and uh, I've been thinking about it, so this whole starting rotation, how this is developing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everybody's saying, I know Bobby Cox said how great Matt Harvey looked, and, uh, you know, again yesterday, everyone says, well, the line looked worse because John Carl Stanton hit a home run. Well, that's the guys he's going to face in, right. in the regular season. I wonder, you know, everyone's penciling in, in Harvey. You've got DeGrom, you've got Syndergaard. Let's, let's assume DeGrom's healthy. I think healthy. Vargas is three. And the Vargas is three. I don't see – I mean, he pitched well today. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a guy six innings, three runs, maybe seven innings, you know, for, you know, two runs, whatever, on a good day. Now you've got Lugo, you've got Wheeler, who I always forget about Wheeler. That's amazing when I go through it. You've got Gazelman, and you've got Harvey. I think Lugo's shown some Mats. moxie. And you've got Mats. Now, Mats, to me, everybody writes off uh, – I don't see why. I mean, he has the same surgery – that Michael Fulmer had this offseason, the same surgery that DeGrom had. It's not debilitating. I know there might be some confidence issues that have been brought up, and I don't think that's new to this year. Um, I, he's In 2016, he had a really good year. Forget the one-loss record. To me, that's a much better play than Harvey right now. And then Lugo's got some moxies. He's a number 5 starter. Uh, he knows how to navigate a game. He seems to keep the, 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 the team in the game. I'm not sure Harvey could do that. And I wonder at this point, you know, what is the, when is the outcome going to matter? I know it's spring training. The process is important, and I get what Callaway and everybody's talking about, but I still don't see Matt Harvey as being a better option right now than those other guys, uh, Rich. Well, I see the rotation as Syndergaard, DeGrom, Vargas. If I had to make a choice today, I would probably put Harvey 5 and Matt's 4. And you would put Lugo in the bullpen or the minors as the next guy up? I'd put Lugo in the bullpen. And you would put Gazelman in the minors? Correct. And what about Wheeler? Wheeler I would put in the bullpen for now as and well. And you think Wheeler could, uh, with those mechanics, which are still not great, the you know inverted uh, V or whatever, you feel he can go back-to-back days and the warm-up? I just think up that, and, Can he go up and down? That's the. the I just think there's game. no way Harvey can go to the bullpen. That's you don't think why. he could do it? No. Not even for an inning? Why, why do you, I'm curious chance. your thoughts. Why do you think Harvey more so than Wheeler? Is it because of his mindset, durability? What, what do you think? I think because he gets so pumped up for a game. Mm. And to be in a bullpen, you got to get pumped up. And almost like when he starts, he pumps down little by little. Right. And I don't know how quickly that pump down would That's come. fair enough. Do you think, and I brought this up, with because of Harvey, because of who he was in 2013 and 2015, and because of who he's going to be now, what do you do? You think Harvey will ever be 
his results will they ever be acceptable anymore for Mets fans? Even if he came out, won 10 games, 4.50 ERA, which is good uh, fifth starter numbers, is that always going to be – is that going to be something that will pale in comparison and will he always be looked at worse than what he is because of who Matt Harvey was at one point in his career? I do, and that's why I think this will be his last year with the Mets. I think that's no doubt. Unless he really – I mean, unless he has a decent enough year, and then again the market is frozen on him, you know, is that is that that's a possibility? But I think the team is ready to move on. He's not. Is he ever going to be, in your opinion? Do you ever could he regain number two status? Could he regain eighty percent of what he was? I don't know. I just I still don't see enough swing and misses. I still don't see enough missed bats. I'm convinced Matt's Wheeler and Lugo could be effective starters in the Met rotation. I have my ups and downs about Harvey. Right. I like his body language. In spring training, um, it's it, it's what's positive. Different? What's different from last First year? First of all, the way he even stands on the mound, right? Um, he he doesn't cower, right, on the mound, and I think that um, that's important for him because of the self confidence. We're going to talk more Mets. I think we're going to have Michael Mayer on the line, and let's go to this commercial break, and we'll be right back to talk more New York Mets. Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signal to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative, and that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Welcome back to New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino. Along with Mike Silva, who's been kind enough to come in studio tonight, we have uh, a very special guest on the line, and I want to kind of preface what this guy does on Twitter because he really should get more credit for it. He's executive editor of Mets Mesmerized and Mets Miners. He has a tremendous knowledge of the Mets Minor League system, far better than I have, that's for sure. And... Um, He's the guy that broke the Michael Kadire retirement story a couple of years ago. And the beat writers didn't want to give him credit for it, and I did. I caught some grief for that, but that's okay. As they say in the good book, uh, nothing you do well for people is always going to come without any kind of grief. And um, Michael Mayer, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming in, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Rich want to quickly ask you, in watching the Mets spring training, are you in Port St. Lucie right now? I am not. Okay, neither am I, obviously, because I'm in studio. But what are some things about the Met minor league system that a lot of Met fans don't know 
that you might be able to tell us specifically about some of these pitchers the Mets got in their midseason trades last year? Well, I think we've gotten a look at a couple of them so far this spring. The one that's really jumped out and got a lot of people talking is uh, Gershon Batista, who they got from the Red Sox in the Addison Reed trade. Um, he's pitched in a few games. He's had three or four good outings, and he had one bad outing. But I think, I think in the good outings, you've seen the potential of him when he was throwing 97, 98, and throwing a sharp slider at um, 88. So you kind of see the potential of a back-end um, reliever for the Mets, which, I mean, they're, they're always looking for. I mean, it's in high demand nowadays. Um, so I think he's definitely the name to keep, uh, keep in mind. He, he's still probably a little, little bit away. Um, he's on the 40-man roster, so we could still see him at some point this year, but he's got some fine-tuning in his mechanics and kind of um, sharpen up his slider. But he, he's the guy um, that I would be most excited about just because of the ceiling of a guy that throws. Uh, he was clocked at 101 last year, and he had one outing where he threw 11 pitches, and none of them were slower than 99. So, I mean, the... You get excited when you uh, see arms like that. Absolutely. Um, I'm with Mike Silva as well, who I think you know fairly well. And, Mike, um, any questions you might have for Mike? Yeah, Michael and I actually spoke last week, so uh, it's like deja vu all over again on there. Yes, but, uh, yes, it is. But, you know, Mike, we, you know, I mentioned you brought up Jacob Rahm uh, earlier. Uh, we were just talking, and I, and I guess one of the themes I had on the podcast that, you know, actually was – I recorded before I came on live with Rich was, you know, where's this rotation going? You know, I, I know that Harvey's probably going to get a couple of starts in April. I almost feel like the Mets have to justify um, giving this thing as much rope as possible because of who he is. You know, that obviously is going to leave a Gazelleman or a Wheeler or a Mats either in the minor leagues or in the bullpen. We're getting to the point where this has to crystallize. You have to start preparing for who's going to be a starter, and who's going to have that quote-unquote Andrew Miller type of role out of the pen? I know that's another narrative I'm throwing out there, but you know Mickey Calloway coming from Cleveland makes it easy. You mentioned Rom. Do you, you know Mike? What do you think? Twelve pitchers, thirteen. I think thirteen is going to be dangerous in the National League, but right. that's possible that they'll you know do some kind of shuttle. Where do you see this bullpen going? Where do you see the rotations going? And and can we see a second lefty? I think last week you said no. You didn't feel that we were going to go that route. And 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 do you see a Rom making it? Or are we basically going to see the spillover with the starters making up the uh, the rest of the bullpen? Yeah, I think like we talked about, I, I still think it's tough to envision a second lefty there unless, like you talked about, brought up with Andrew Miller. We both thought it might be time for uh, Stephen Matz to try to fill that type of role where Matz could throw a couple innings out of the bullpen. I mean, he, he struggled as a starter, but you can still he still shows flashes of having great stuff. So, I mean... He could be that second lefty, and uh, Jacob Rame, like we talked about and you've mentioned, uh, he's pitched great this spring. Uh, like Rich brought up, he was a trade from last year. The Mets got him for Granderson. So he's actually a guy that's pitched very well against lefties the last four years in the minor league. So maybe they don't necessarily carry a second lefty, but they have someone like Rame that's pitched well against lefties. Mm-hmm. So and like you talked about, it all it all depends on kind of what they do with the rotation um, and who they pick because one of these guys is likely 
going to end up in the bullpen at least one, and then at least one's got to go to AAA. And one thing I guess most of us didn't expect is for them to all still be healthy like they are right now. Right, so, and, and, and I agree with you. And when you look at a 12-man pitching staff, you have your five starters, whoever they're going to be. You got your four, you know, big enchiladas, I'll call them, and A.J. Yeah. Ramos, Jerry's Familia, Swarzak, and um, A.J. Well, Ramos, and and Blevins. I think your fifth guy is going to be Seawald. I'm actually pretty sure about that. I like him a lot. I think he'll he'll profile Mike. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think he's going to be more of, of a guy, especially like how Joe Smith used to be earlier in his career, righty-centric. The, the numbers had him... Uh, you know, struggle against lefties. That could be an outlier as a young player. But I think he's a guy you want to avoid lefties. Uh, not that he throws like Joe Smith, but I think of him more in that kind of way, yeah. if that makes sense. Not as bad as Chad Bradford, but certainly Not as bad. Chad Bradford was very right-handed. good against righties. But. And then that leaves in a 12-man staff two guys, two spots in the pen. I, And it's funny because um, I'm Rafael Montero's out of options. I, don't, I think the Mets are going to probably DFA him at the end of spring training. But what do you think is Hansel Robles' oh. chances? I don't think he has any I chance. So where do those other two spots go? Do they go to Lugo and Wheeler, say? Is that reasonable to think that those last two spots would be Lugo and Wheeler if Wheeler's not in the rotation or whoever's not in the rotation to join Lugo there with Gazelman going to AAA? Yeah, I think, I think at this point um, Lugo is definitely going to be on the opening day roster, whether it's fifth starter in the bullpen, but I think the Mets seem to like him better in that bullpen role where he can throw two or three innings, and then if you need a spot starter, he's there. Cause I, think, I think they go with 12 guys, uh, 12 pitchers to start the year. I, I don't think they want to extend that uh, bullpen until later in the year. You might see him push it to eight, but I think, and then it's, it's tough for them. I think Wheeler's going to get every opportunity to get that fifth spot, and I mean, he's said in the past he's not crazy about being reliever. So, and Alderson said the other day that it's either it's rotation or bust for him, whether it's in the major leagues or in Triple A. So, right, right. So, and and the other thing, Michael, they could do, being as though they have opening day and then an off day, and then two games, they could delay it a game or two. Meaning, they could maybe put only four starters on that opening day roster but then make the move a couple of days later or even a rotation going around later if they feel some of these pitchers, like, say, DeGrom may need an extra start down there. They may not bring DeGrom up until, say, game six or game five, right. and then that'll give them more time to play with the bullpen to see who they want to keep. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, You still there, Michael? We lost him. We lost Michael. So I agree with that. Um, You know, the other thing, Rich, you know, we talk so much about the pitching, and I don't think it's been overlooked, but Brendan Nimmo's starting to grow on a lot of people. He really is. And his attitude is so good. I know that um, he's he's another one that because he was a first-round pick and because he's not going to be Chris Bryant, that he's going to be viewed as – a bust, mm-hmm. and he was the old. Was he the oldest? The first Alderson first round pick, right? Yep. But he he has a good eye. I think if he can be a little bit more assertive in hitting counts with runners on base, that was my only criticism last year. I felt he made a lot of progress. I felt he was still too passive with runners in yep. scoring position. I agree. And if he can master that, um, he'll he's gonna he's gonna get himself two hundred fifty three hundred at bats. Maybe maybe that's asking a lot with Cespedes and Bruce and and Conforto. Mm-hmm. 
But you know what? I wonder, can he play first base? Can he get, Can he go down? Can I don't know if he's that play. a little, you know, do you put Bruce or Conforto at first base? I guess not, you know, I don't to know get him some time. Play. I don't know. I don't if know if, Wally Backman never felt he was a center fielder either. He, he felt defensively he was better in the corners. He had that Hunter Pence n- nature to him a little bit. I think he got a better shot at Jay Bruce playing first base. And Jay Bruce doesn't really like to play is, first base. Is Michael either. on the phone again? Okay, Michael, let's bring you up again. We got about four minutes left in the show. So um, we're just talking kind of about Brandon Nimmo. And um, I got, and the other thing that I kind of would take a shot with, I don't know if in April, I'd like to see Ahmed Rosario bat in the leadoff spot. I really would. I, I think he can do it. I think he's got to refine his swing, but he's got a lot of the other skills that you need for a leadoff guy. Michael, your thoughts on that? I think. I don't think the timing would be right just because of the time that he did miss the spring. I think it's something they might have played with had he had a full spring training. But I, I think he's kind of uh, gotten set back with the two weeks that he missed. Yeah, and the thing about it is I like Nimmo in the leadoff spot. I, I don't know about Lagaris in the leadoff spot. When the lefty's pitching, I might want to put... Rosario in the leadoff spot and put Lagaris down in the order. That's just a thought that I and, have. And remember, when, when Reyes and Wright came up, Willie Randolph started them lower in the order and made them gradually build themselves up. Even Reyes right. put at the bottom of the order. So might be something that Callaway does because he's a young player, not to put too much pressure on him as well. Sure. Michael, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll see and run into each other again during the season. Keep up the great work on Twitter. Uh, we all love you. You know that, Michael. Take care, my friend. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. Okay. Michael Mayer, we thank him for it because he's just he's terrific at what he does, and you know that better than anybody. Yeah, he does. it does great work. They all do great work over at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Always glad to have them a part of the, the community. I definitely want to, um, you know, talk a little bit as we close about what we talked about for most of this show, and that's the New York media. And – if I had to describe them, Mike, I would say it's a snake pit. They're not a half glass <laughs> empty. They're not a half glass full. They're a styrofoam cup with a hole at the bottom. There's a lot of good in. guys, by the way. There's a lot of good guys, and I respect everybody. And it's a tough job, but it's a snake pit, and it's also something where you get very jaded. And I can understand it, but it's also unfair. And if you have a job to do, you have to be intellectually honest. And um, you know, I think it's very important. That is what my my final thought is as a reader. You have to really be able to read stuff and read between the lines and know what's opinion, what's factual, and where the agenda is. You can see it. It's very easy to see the agenda. You just got to look for it. You got to read with a little more disc- disconcerting eyes out and there. One of the things I wanted to talk about tonight was the athletic. We haven't had time to talk about that. We'll talk about that next week on the show. But I do think that it has the ability to succeed if it does one thing well cater to the disenfranchised demographic in this business and that's the 45 plus male and female 45 plus they want to hear about how a curveball is thrown why it's thrown they don't want to hear about who who's the national Enquirer story that day (laughs) that's right who saw a ufo or who doesn't like right and i think that if the athletic does that i think it'll be eminently successful agreed on that Mike, thanks so much for joining awesome. us. It was always a pleasure having Let's you do here. do it during the season, for sure. Now, next week, we're going to be talking more about the NCAA tournament. We're going to be talking about our brackets, okay, how they broke up probably by that point. Um, but enjoy the NCAA tournament. Try not to think about all the bad things going on in the NCAA when you're in that 40-minute game. Just 
put your arms around a great sport if it's not screwed up too bad by the NCAA. Till next week, Rich Catino saying so long, everybody. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.